if you've noticed, I have glasses on this morning. Uh, I normally wear contacts, but I got stuck in the eye with a branch from a tree this week. And I ended up in the uh, emergency, and when the doctor had examined everything, was going to give me a tetanus booster. She told me, now this is going to hurt, and I couldn't pass up. Not as bad as a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> Which is probably an American saying. Huh? A burnt, a, a burnt stick. That, that's even worse. John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's, let's read the Bible, okay? I was reading this this week. It says, uh, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, uh, as of the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I was reminded that often truth has more than one aspect. Kind of like the uh, train lines of a railroad. There's two, kind of like the two sides of a coin that we often have something more. Jesus was full of grace and truth. The thing is that we're often pressured to grab hold of one of the rails and ignore the others. We're just going to be truth-oriented. Or we're just going to be grace-oriented. And we actually have to embrace all of it. I was just challenged again with that this week and thought I'd throw that in for free. Acts chapter 1, which is where we're actually going. Huh? You're paying for this? Yeah. With your time. Acts chapter 1, we started uh, last week in verse 3. He's, uh, Jesus is actually has risen from the dead, and he presented himself alive with, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being uh, seen... Uh, being seen by them, I, I can't actually read with my glasses on, <laughs> during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I just uh, hit me. Jesus spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom. I'd like to kind of talk about an overview of the kingdom of God. We've done that, but we often have new people coming, and Jesus spoke about that more than anything else. In fact, it was the main thing he taught about. Matthew... 4.23 says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Jesus was this absolutely amazing, loving person who cared for people, healed them, loved them, didn't reject them, yet he never teaches about how to heal someone. He teaches about the kingdom. You ever thought about that? He actually goes to the root. The problem isn't that you're sick. The problem is that you're living in the wrong kingdom. It 
So after his resurrection, not only did he teach this more than anything else in his ministry on the earth, after his resurrection, he's got 40 days, and what does he talk to the disciples about? Not about how to plant churches. Talks about the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is so different. The kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of the world. It's hard for us to grasp it. It's hard for us to recognize how it works. So, what is it? I'm glad you asked. That was your first question, right? What is the kingdom of God? We talk about it all the time, but what is it? The word kingdom literally means the domain or rule of a king. Okay, I'll, I'll pause while you write that down. Because it really is simple. It's the domain or rule of a king. There's no kingdom without a king. We tend to think of the domain of a king in geographic terms. His kingdom goes from this river to these mountain ranges. This is the kingdom of whatever. But it's not limited to geography. It's limited to wherever the rule or reign of that king is. We know the kingdom of God is different. It's a rule in our hearts. Let me just remind you. Jesus paid the way for our sin to be removed so that we can be restored to relationship with God. When we turn from our rebellion and turn back to him, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, we become part of the kingdom of God, submitted to his rule. Prior to that happening, we're part of the kingdom of darkness. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. Colossians 1.13 says that we're transferred, delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed to the kingdom of the son of his love. I'm reading up here because I can't read my notes. <laughs> Unless I do this. For those of you who don't realize, normally I wear contacts, uh, which actually saved my. Prior to coming to Jesus and submitting to God's rule, we're part of the kingdom of darkness. We're part of the, the kingdom of this world. Satan is the ruler of that kingdom. John 12, 31, Jesus says, now the judgment of the world, the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. John 14, 30, he says it again. Uh, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He, Jesus is saying that Satan is the ruler of, the world, of this world, which is part of the kingdom of darkness. So when we're not submitted to Jesus, we're actually under the rule of the devil. You wonder why the world is such a mess. It really is demonically controlled. But the kingdom of God is radically different than the world. And so we need to understand what that means. And that's a whole process. As we come and we submit to him, we are then transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why do we need to have our mind renewed? Because we've been saturated in a wrong thinking 
about how we interact with people, how the world works. And then we come into a whole separate kingdom where Jesus is the ruler and he rules in a whole different way. This kingdom is ruled by power and control and intimidation and and manipulation. This kingdom is ruled by love. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get to that. Okay. I can't read my notes, so I can't stick to them. (laughs) I want to talk briefly. I mean, there's so much about the kingdom we could talk about. But I just want to remind you again something I've shared in the past. You know, that there is a, a pressure when you're a preacher or a teacher to think that you've preached something, you don't preach it again. And so you always feel like you have to have something new. But Jesus just kept talking about the kingdom for three years. I figured, okay, I can repeat something I've done before. So Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to just cheat and take my glasses off so I can read. From verse 31, Jesus had all these parables about the kingdom. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is sown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of milk until it was all leavened. So what we have is this understanding that this kingdom is slowly advancing to impact the world. Problem is that we've if we listen to what we see in the world, we're taught that the world's actually getting worse instead of better. But it's just not true. But let me just talk to you briefly about the advancing of the kingdom. I've said this before. I'm going to try and put it in a simple form without graphs or anything except for a few informational things. Okay? So if you, if you take notes, you're going to want to write this down. In uh, the year, in the time that Jesus lived, sociologists say that there were about 200 million people in the in the earth. And so the the beginning of the kingdom after Jesus' resurrection starts with 120 people in an upper room. Now, if you're really good at math, you'll quickly compute. Tim has already got this. Both Tims, Tim and Tim Curtin. I was looking at Tim Curtin and I said Tim, but I realized it. Tim's shaking his head going. <laughs> that, that that's probably about 10 one thousandths of 1%. Cool. The world population took until eight, the 1800, it was actually 1804 to reach 1 billion. But by that point, Christianity had grown, or the kingdom had grown to be about 1% of the population. Now please, don't come and argue with me about the numbers afterwards. Everyone always, whenever I share this, someone says, where did you get that from? I can give you all the sources. The problem is the source is very just a little bit, 
And so I'm not arguing about the actual number. I'm, I'm wanting you to see the progression. Okay? And so I've taken a little bit of, of leeway. I, I say 1,800. It was actually 1,804 for those of you who are very black and white. By 1927, the world population had reached 2 billion. And Christianity had grown to be about 2.5% of the world population. That doesn't sound like much. Now, if you were to graph this on a graph, if those of you who are math people, you see this very slow increase of the world's population until you hit about 1,800. And then it starts this upward trend, which is called an elliptical curve, and it just takes off. In the last century, population has just exploded. But if you follow that with the, the kingdom, and you're going to see this, it starts much lower, and it progresses at the same level, very slow, and then it starts in about the 18, 1900s, this elliptical curve that is actually steeper than the world population growth. And that's what I'm wanting you to see. By 1960, the world population had reached 3 billion. So it took 1,800 years for the population to get to 1 billion. It took 100 years to go from 1 to 2. And it took only about 40 to go, or 30-some, to go from 2 to 3. So that's what I mean, that, that population increase. You're still with me? So those of you who don't like math, just read something on the internet <laughs> while I cover this. Uh, draw in your Bible or something, and then, then we'll get back to this. But by 1960, the kingdom had reached about 5% of the world population. It gets better. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hit every billion because it'll take too long. 1987, population at about 5 billion, and the kingdom has reached about 10%. By 2011, we reached 7 billion, and it was 20%. By 2022, we reached 8 billion, and it was 34%. That's one in three in the world. From one ten thousandth of one percent to 34 percent. Now, if you understand that, what that says is that the kingdom is advancing faster than the world population is growing. The world population is on this huge electrical increase, and the kingdom is actually growing faster. Isn't that what Matthew said? This leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. The lump keeps getting bigger, but the leaven is moving faster. That's just amazing. Now, anything else I say from this point is simply speculation. Okay? But it's called mathematical extrapolation. If you would continue with that curve, you would see that... Sociologists tell us that they think that the world population will reach about 9 billion by 2035. At the current expansion of the kingdom, it'll be 50% 50 of the world population. Now we go from 34 to 50% in what, a little bit, about 12 years. 
But 34 to 50 is different than what it looks like because the world population has increased so much. It's actually a doubling of those who are part of the kingdom in the next 12 years. Think about that for a second. This is God's plan from the beginning that he was going to actually move in a way that would equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and then release them on the earth. And there is this multiplication where the kingdom is growing faster than the world's population. One more. 2050, they say it would reach about 10 billion. And if that continued at this point... That would be 100% of the world's population. Please, please hear me. This is not a prophetic <laughs> word. Of our, this is simply an extrapolation of what's been happening over the last 2,000 years. Okay? You still with me? I'm not predicting something. Don't go out of here saying, Russ said that the world's going to all be Christian by, by 2020 and Jesus is returning. It could be. But he could return tomorrow. All right? I would be surprised if he didn't before 2050. Let me read you... Uh, one of the sources that I used, I used a number of them to get this, but one of them was a guy named J.D. King, and I want to just read you a quote from his book. God's grace is upending the Mediterranean world. This is a truth that Muslim clerics are even starting to recognize. In December 2001, Sheikh Ahmed al Qatani, president of the Companions Lighthouse for the Science of Islamic Law, which is uh, in Egypt, appeared on a live interview on Al Jazeera television. He declared the following. This is the head of a Christian, uh, not a Christian, a Muslim uh, university, and he's on Al Jazeera television speaking to Muslims, and he said this. There are now 1.5 million churches whose congregations account for 46 million people in the Muslim world. In every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. These numbers are very large indeed. Stunned, the interviewer interrupted the cleric said, hold on. Let me clarify. Do we have six million converting to is, from Islam to Christianity? And Al-Qahtani reassert, uh, repeated his assertion, yes, every year. The kingdom's advancing. You're not going to read about that in the media. Now, because I like math... If that continued at the same rate 
and didn't increase, that would be another 132 million Muslims who've converted to Christ since 2001. Add that with the 46 he had already said existed, and that's 178 million since about the beginning of the 21st century. He said that in December, three months after 9-11 and the, the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York. God's on the move. We often see what's, what's there uh, in the natural, but don't see, because no one's gonna tell you this. The devil is the ruler of this world. He's not gonna tell you that. Let me say this in light of that. I don't think darkness is growing or getting darker. It's always been dark. It's not getting any darker. The devil's not getting worse. He was always bad. He still is. Darkness isn't getting darker. I think it's just getting louder. We have to be careful that we don't allow the loudness of the world to drown out our understanding of the kingdom. But let me say this. As wonderful as that is, the totality of the kingdom is not complete until Jesus returns. This kingdom is growing and advancing, but it will never be complete until Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24 says this. You can read the whole thing, but it says, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. I love that in that uh, song earlier that Satan has put, I mean, Jesus has put the enemy under his feet. He's doing that. And as we come into the kingdom, the rule of the devil in our life is destroyed. But let me say this. This kingdom advances through love and not violence. It's not how loud we can shout down the loudness of the darkness. It's the love of God. It's shining the light, not cursing the darkness. We're gonna share communion in a moment. I wanna just remind you before we do, in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus institutes the, last, the, the Lord's Supper or communion. After they've had this Passover meal, in verse 20, likewise he took the cup after supper. There was a second, second cup cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. 
historians don't actually know what that cup was because when you go back to the Passover meal, there was the cup that they had, which they drank from, and the, the bread, and so that became the Passover. But somewhere, they added this other cup that was more of a prophetic picture of a new covenant. It was a indication that there was a new covenant coming which Jeremiah refers to. But somehow in the process of Israeli culture, Jewish culture at the time, that became identified with the covenant of marriage. And so the guys who study all that kind of stuff tell us that by the time of Jesus, an engagement in marriage required, obviously, fathers agreeing, but then there would actually be a meal, a dinner, and they would eat together, and there would be a cup sitting there, and after dinner, the potential bridegroom would take that cup, signifying a covenant, and would extend that cup after taking a sip to the potential bride. And the idea is that if she took it and drank from it, then from that point, they were in covenant together. That was the beginning of their covenant. In our culture, that's the beginning of engagement, but we say the covenant takes place at the actual wedding. In that culture, it took place, but it was tied in with this cup of the covenant. So when Jesus takes this cup after dinner, it signifies not only a new covenant, but a covenant of love. Isn't that amazing? This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Corinthians says, as we take this, we do it in remembrance of him. We do it in remembrance of his sacrifice that was shed for us. But you can't separate that from his love. We remember that we're loved. We remember all that he's done But we also remember that we're partners in this covenant with him. It's a reminder that we no longer live for ourselves. See, when the potential bride took that cup and they entered into the covenant, what would happen eventually is that she would have a whole new identity, a new name, a whole new purpose. For us, we become transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. We have a new identity, who we are, loved by God. We have a new purpose. We partner with him to see his kingdom advanced. We don't live for ourselves. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. 
yet we have all these wonderful benefits. Let me uh, encourage you as we share communion just now. In light of that kingdom, recognize, remember the love of God who's redeemed you, but also that you're no longer part of darkness. You're part of the kingdom of his beloved son. I've tried hard not to get sidetracked in this today, but there's something of that kingdom that is pure and holy and loving that is so different from the world. And the world tries to creep in and make it something different. Let's remember not only what he's done, but also remember our part, that we're partners with him. So we have some uh, juice and pickies, crackers, whatever they are. Uh, I have to put my glasses on because I can't see them over there. Uh, and there's, there's gluten, gluten-free on this side. And there's some over here as well. No, no, no gluten-free. But there, but there is still, you can get the elements either any place. And they, both of these have regular and gluten-free for those of you who are gluten-free. Is that, that totally messed that up. <laughs> Stand with me, will you? I'm going to ask you if you just go and grab the elements and bring them back to your, your seat and just hold on to them. Uh, if you would, just go back, sides. We try and do this so that it doesn't take forever. Some of you have figured this out that uh, if you're a couple, one of you can go and get it for the two of you, which works as well. Some of you have got that down. Uh, You would just hang on to that and we'll take it together. That's a reminder because I saw Tony's chewing back there. Okay, we've learned in doing this that when, when you take this up front, you have to shut the mic off <laughs> because Johan plays with the recording and turns that up, and so all you hear is crunching. Lord, we thank you that this represents your body broken for us. You loved us so much that you actually took our sin upon yourself. You who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God and could come back into that relationship. And so as we take this, we thank you And we remember all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. And then after the supper, you took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Today, We're reminded of that, but he's also, if you've never entered into that covenant, he's extending the cup to you today saying, 
I choose you. And by taking it, you come into relationship with him. So let's take that and just remember that we're partnering with him for his purposes. Now I've asked, uh, whoa, I've asked Tim and the uh, team if they would come back. We're going to finish with the song that we started with, Build Your Kingdom Here, and let it be our prayer for us personally, but also a prophetic declaration for our families and our city. See, it's both. There's, There's... Two, two train lines, two train tracks. One is this applies to me, but it also means in partnering with him, it applies to the world around us. So if you'd stand, and we're going to sing that together, and let it, be a, let it be both, a prayer and a proclamation as we finish.